All right, welcome back, everyone, to the Shuttle Pod. This is our Star Trek Picard coverage, covering the first season, episode five. I'm your host, Matt, and I'm here with my other co-hosts, Kayla. Hey, you guys. And Jared. Hello, friends. Sorry I missed the last couple weeks. Well, we're glad you're back. Good to have you back. Thank you. You've got a meaty episode to talk about. You return on quite a quite an episode, I have to say. Diving right into it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, before we dive into the episode, we want to point out, as we like to do, uh, a real life kind of, you know, space hero of sorts, because we do like to point that out. Um, recently, Katherine Johnson, who I think, you know, came to fame uh, over the last few years, uh, thanks to like the book and then the film Hidden Figures, uh, who was a, basically a human calculator. It's kind of mind boggling, if you ask me, that these these women were essentially like cal- human calculators, right? That did calculations of orbital mechanics. So she recently, we just lost her recently at the ripe old age of 101. So yeah, that's good, kind of amazing. Good too. for her. Yeah. Mm-hmm, that's pretty amazing mm-hmm. too. Yeah. She, she worked on calculations of her friendship seven, which was John Glenn's mm-hmm. um, mission to put the first American in orbit around the earth. She worked on the Apollo missions. She worked on Apollo 11. And she also, I didn't know until I heard early on the news today, she actually also worked on the shuttle program as well. Yeah, I, d- I didn't know that until read. Same thing, I didn't know that until reading it today, yeah. And shout out to to Katherine Johnson and some of the other ladies from um, the Hidden Figures uh, film and, and novel and, and era. Um, we have recently gotten some new equipment in our lab at Johnson Space Center and they've named starting we, they needed names so we could keep track of them and we've named mm-hmm. them after them. So one of them is named Catherine Johnson. So awesome. remember he lives awesome. on Great. in our little corner of JSC. Excellent. That's terrific. I oh I have a trek anecdote about hidden figures. Yeah, so Jared, you got I, I've been right. sitting on this for the last two years. I had this as like mm-hmm. a uh, Black History Month trek anecdote, and so I, 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 when I saw the news, I thought, okay, now's the time I can, I can pop it out. Okay, so two years ago, a friend of mine and I went to a showing of Hidden Figures at the Salt Lake City Public Library, and I had to cut out early, and I had to leave halfway through because, and this is my first like trek anecdote confession, so my trek confession, because <laughs> okay, that night I was recording an episode of the Shuttle Pod. So I cut out on this wonderful (laughs) movie about civil rights and the space race in the 1960s so I could talk about Star Trek. You sacrificed it. Well, thank you. Well, that's nice. But yeah, yeah, it's a heck of... And by the way, people haven't seen it. It's a great movie. It's a really good film. It is. It's entertaining and inspiring for sure. Jared, did you you ever see the second half? Yeah. My mom and I watched all of it a couple months later. Awesome. Okay, good. Okay. And the thing I wanted to say is remember a year ago when I was talking about how works really well in genre fiction when you have a team of characters if you do like a threesome that fits like the freudian triad and then (laughs) or if you do like a foursome that fits like the four the the four humors where each character embodies one of those ideas yep and and um so a really good example of the triad is kirk spock and mccoy and -hmm. then the example i gave of the quartet is the teenage mutant ninja turtles okay so if you watch that movie they use the triad model beautifully right and in that opening scene, if you remember it, where, like, their car is pulled over by the side of the road, we mm-hmm. see that, um, let me see if I get the right names here, where, uh, sorry, 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 one of the ladies, the, uh, the, uh, Octavia Spencer, she's mm-hmm. on her back, she's, like, fixing the engine, mm-hmm. then the, the Katherine Johnson character, she's staring off into space, 
And then the Mary Jackson character is uh, on the just doing her makeup. And so mm-hmm. here we very efficiently are shown one of them is very practical. She's the ego. One of them has her head in the stars. She's the intellectual one. She's the super ego. And one of them is perhaps more distracted by 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 carnal things, right? And so she's the id. So right there in that one shot, it tells you everything you need to know about these characters beautifully. And I looked at that and said, aha, that's how the opening scene of every movie should be. That efficient. <laughs> right? That's, Anyways, uh, wow, true. that's really nice. Uh, that's, that's a good point. Nice breakdown yeah. there. That's really cool. You know who I think is a great example of the triad and the uh, quartet is the Shuttlepod podcast. Oh, oh, let's talk about that. (laughs) Which one of us is, I think we trade off being the the, the ego and the superego. That would be nice. I hope we do kind of, you know, take our turns. I'm so looking forward to find out who's going to be what today. Because there's (laughs) like, I'm like, I feel like we're like sitting on a bomb of information with this episode we're about to talk about. Oh, there's so much to talk about. I'm back, yeah. Also, real people are real people. And so they have like all of these voices inside their head. So Exactly. Exactly. No one is one thing. Exactly. No, if someone were just one of those, they'd be, you'd have to put them in an asylum or something. (laughs) Yeah, you definitely question their sanity. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so I'd been sitting on that for a little bit. So I, as much as we are sad to lose Miss Johnson, I did want to share that. It seemed like the perfect timing. That it, is a good time. Yeah. It also ties timing. into something that I want to say about this episode. So we'll just sort of oh. leave, leave that there. Well, how about that? All right. Well, yeah, I'll sit on that for a minute. Let's talk about, let's introduce the episode and then we'll come back to it. Uh, so the episode was is titled Stardust City Rag. Written by Kirsten Beyer, who, of course, is like, you know, a Voyager novelist fame and, of course, wrote on Discovery and is actually a co-creator of Star Trek Picard. So she's got some skin in this game. And it's directed by our number one, everybody's number one, Jonathan Frakes. He's my number one dad. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a great little moment. Um, Okay, and then we have our official CBS-approved synopsis that Kalo will read for us in Brian's absence. All right, I'll do my best to uh, fill in. I don't think my, I can go quite as deep, but I'll do my best. Yeah, no one can hit the Brian newscast, but, but you, we'll accept your substitute. <laughs> the La Serena crew begins an unpredictable and lively expedition on FreeCloud to search for Bruce Maddox. When they learn that Maddox has found himself in a precarious situation, a familiar face offers her assistance. Mm-hmm. So... As we do, let's just let's uh, go around and talk kind of jump reactions before we get too deep into it. So, Kayla, let's start with you. Okay. Um, okay. 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 I have so many feelings about this episode. I know. So, if you can keep it to a brief I will kind of thing, keep it very brief. And then we'll jump into it. I'm. I know people are going to be mad at whatever I say about this, but I, I would hope that everyone <laughs> okay. will wait and it. give me give me a chance later in the episode to explain my feelings. I hated this episode. I absolutely hated this episode. You're, you're not alone. I, I, this it was of, extremely divisive, yeah. and I, I, I hear what people who liked it were saying, and I think that they're right about a lot of things they're saying. I think it was very well written. It's not the writing <laughs> that I'm having a problem with. It's the choice, the, the, the literary choices that were made. So I think the writing's good. I think the actions were motivated, but what I'd like to get into more later is why I disagree with not how it's being written, but what is being written. That's what I'll say about that. Okay, that's fair. I think that's fair enough. Uh, so, Jared, how about you? Okay, so the thing I mainly felt was just overwhelmed. That was my main reaction. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't go so far as to say I hated it, but I just felt like there were so many different things I was supposed to keep track of 
and in the middle of it, um, I'm supposed to find this cartoonish French caricature funny, <laughs> and yeah. I didn't really. I also, yeah. I do I... want, oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I just, I was agreed. Oh, that okay. part is kind of weirdly misplaced. Mm-hmm. Like yes, the, that's a good word for the it. Car- cartoony part, yeah. Yeah, and and I will say I did like seeing Jerry Ryan, and I like her performance where she's still seven, but she's been um, normal uh, or non-borged for so long that mm-hmm. she's softened. And I thought the she, the actress, did a good job portraying the character the way it should feel after, you know, 20 years now of being back in the Alpha Quadrant. Yeah. So those agreed. those agreed. are my three main takeaways. Cool. Uh, yeah, it's sort of to go along with that, I, I I kind of you know coming away from this when I first watched it, I said in in our Slack, you know, I said, well, I didn't didn't love it, didn't hate it, and that's kind of still how I feel. Like, I I I'm have I have a hard time saying, you know, oh, it was so great, or like, oh, it was awful, and I hate it because I don't. But it's just oh, like like you said, there's a lot to take in. Um, there's, yeah, it's just, it's just a lot. And it's not necessarily that like, oh, so much happened. It's just like what happened and mm-hmm. some of the visual imagery and things like that were a lot mm-hmm. to handle. So that's, that's, yeah. So that's my sort of general one sentence, <laughs> two sentence, whatever on that. Um, if, if I may just add like a quick addendum mm-hmm. to mine, I know this is supposed to be short, but I just want to, I should have thought exactly how I wanted to say this because I feel like it's a very fragile situation for a lot of people um the my, the feeling I have after watching this episode is is best described I think as heartbreak not so much as anger or hate when I said I hate this mm-hmm. episode I'm hurt I'm hurt hurt by and for this episode and like I said I hope I can explain more as we go on that makes sense I, I think heartbreak that's actually a good word yeah I like that I think that I think a lot of people felt that way actually the heartbreak. Yeah, that's not that the hate, yeah. hate. Hate was a bad word choice, but but I, I I'm I'm feeling heartbroken. Yeah, I think that's a good word choice. I think a lot of people felt that way. I have to say, so let's let's jump into it then. Especially, I think we're gonna come to the, an opening scene that was very divisive. Uh, this flashback to now, you know, whatever. What, what would he be? Probably in his like late thirties, mm-hmm. Echeb. Yeah. Right. Um, who, who of course came back with seven he's the only of the Borg children to come back which is fine because the Borg children were a dumb gimmick but whatever <laughs> thank, <laughs> th- th- thank you Matt okay I, I'm just saying what a lot of people thought they no. were but I uh, liked them I liked Echeb I, I always liked his character well Echeb was alright but a lot of the younger kids were really just like dead weight well they were just background noise anyway Echeb was the only one anyone had to care about yeah it's true so Echeb of course like made the decision to come back well <laughs> didn't just make the decision his parents <laughs> If you guys remember, his parents basically were going to offer him up to the Borg to be retaken, like re. So um, he he definitely wanted to stay with Voyager. Um, so he came back. Um, as we find, Echeb, of course, is now a lieutenant, and he's got himself in a bad situation, <laughs> and we mean bad, gnarly. He's unfortunately been. We found out later that he's basically been baited into coming to this remote planet, and we find him being vivisected really because mm-hmm. vivisection you keep the animal alive and that's what uh, that's what really and no anesthetic know, really, no anesthetic and that's what and i'm gonna say it i'm gonna use the f word it's a really fucked up situation it is i think it warrants it to say the f i agree that was our that was our f bomb for the episode that's right that's our one <laughs> um and it was gruesome of course and and you know that's the thing like thanks to 
wonderful modern makeup and you know i mean everything's gotten a little grislier like if you look at medical shows today they're much more realistic about what they show you know and wounds and stuff so all of that they put that to good use uh we'll put good in quotes because a lot of people disagree with the use and i would say just like I, i get the the allusion to the medical programs thing but i feel like this was different is another level because it's torture it is another level yeah i mean i mean i've seen people call it this and i and I kind of understand, I mean, I understand why they say that this was almost like saw, you know, yeah, level, yeah, you know, yeah. kind of stuff. And, you know, they're not wrong. It kind of was, you know, uh, it was pretty, pretty awful. Um, and so that, you know, it was opening so gruesome. I was like, I watch yeah. horror films and bloody stuff and gore. I like gore. I think it's fun because <laughs> it's a movie yeah. and it's, you know, but this was hard to watch. And a lot of people are saying, you know, I I wish I could watch this with my eight-year-old son. And they've been saying that for like Discovery and other things because of the F-bomb. And those were like some parents wouldn't care so much and some some would. But in this case, you know, I feel like I would be a pretty liberal Uh, parent. I'm just like, I don't think I want a child to see this. This is definitely scarring to your kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I mean, this is one hell of a way to start the episode. And unfortunately, I think this scene really tainted a lot of people's feelings about the rest of the episode it's fair understandably so but just like i think it did and it's sort of unfortunate yeah you know because of that something that i like to do because i worry sometimes about what i say that uh view or listeners might think that i actually don't like star trek so whenever there's an, a negative instance of something like this i always like to try to introduce a positive instance from the franchise where they did something sure. like this well or at least that's one of my shuttle pod resolutions for this new year. So hmm. if we look at uh, first contact, the first act is basically uh, yep. a whole is a horror movie, right? Up with the, the eye, where, are you thinking of the eye? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. The eye thing creeps me, me out. Yeah, but it's not nearly on this yeah. level. It you didn't admit. go over the top. Yeah. It's yeah. just there right. to give you a little scare to set the tone yep. and let you know yep. this is how our protagonist feels that he's scared too. And if Yep. Jean-Luc Picard is scared. Holy crap. Right? Yeah. That scene sets him to shiver up my spine every time. It's, it's so yeah, well executed. It's and 26, 24 years later, it's still sending shivers up Kayla's spine. So mm-hmm. excellent work. That's that's what they should have done. Right? Yeah. Is try to emulate yeah. that. Yeah. And I, I tend to think so, too, that this was over the top and, and you know, unnecessary. Uh, I don't hate it the way some people were violently sort of reacted to I agree. it. Um, but I also really could have done without such a level of it. Like, you know, there's definitely ways to show, for example, there's the classic, like she could have started to do this and then you get the old, see it in, see it in silhouette or, or see off screen shadow yeah. or just, yeah, the camera pans away for you a hear second. noises or something to imply. Right. And then, and then, you know, the eyeball plops into the dish and you're like, oh, well, I know what they just did, but I didn't have to see it to know what just happened, you know? So there's that kind of thing. And, and I do think like that would have been perfectly fine by most of us, right? We didn't need to see the straight up like removal and like the severing of like the optic nerve and all this shit that they, yeah, that they showed. I think it, it, was, was it was gnarly. I, I agree with yeah. you too. And I'll, I'll, you know, definitely throw this episode bones wherever I can because I came right out of the gate saying that I just liked it so much. Um, this, this, it, it bothered me. I thought it was too much, but it didn't. Yeah. I, th- I think I agree with you. I don't, don't hate it. I didn't like it. I wouldn't have chosen to mm-hmm. do that. It was disturbing 
and I wish mm-hmm. they hadn't done it, but that's not what's, yeah. I don't think that's what's coloring my vision of the episode. Um, sure, but I think sure. it's also worth pointing out what um, Michael Chabon has said about yes. this particular thing. Yeah. I mean, as people probably know, if you're also readers of the website and not just listeners, but um, Michael Chabon has done a really cool, you know, job interacting with fans on his Instagram. And so he took to, an, you know, a time to reply to someone who said, you know, this, this last thing, this last episode was like too much for me. I, I don't understand it. I don't, it seems like you're just, you know, ambivalent about this portrayal of violence. And he actually did a really great, um, you know, re- sat down in a very thoughtful reply to this person. And we, we've included it in a recent article, which we'll I'll try and remember to link to you on our show notes, because if you haven't read it already, by the time we publish this podcast, it's very much worth reading. It is. Yeah, and clearly he, you know, didn't, you know, and he, he, he defends himself a little bit, and I think in a very um, nice way, you know, that's due to him is, you know, this isn't lazy writing and all the things people like to throw around some kind of mean words, like saying, like, he doesn't care about making a good show. But I think that's clearly yeah. not the case, and he really well illustrates, like, he cares about this, he knows this, he thinks about this, he agonizes over these decisions. But at the same time, I have to say, he kind of sounds like he agrees with us on this one. He says, like, I, he, he, does, he basically yeah. says, like, I tend to think less is more, but this was a collaborative decision. And other people in the room, you know, wanted this level mm-hmm. of violence. Yep. So, yeah. That's the key phrase I was going to hone in on, too. Yeah, is uh, key phrase is that there are other partners that felt it was warranted. Yeah. You know? Like, or, okay. And that pushed for it too, because they said they were kind yeah. of they were conflicted about this in the writing room. It sounds like, and he was on the side of his. He said in his write up, "Less is more," but that in the end, he basically says in the end, you know, I support what's happened. But it it sounds very much like he kind of has our our same sentiment. That's my take from reading what he's. Yeah, written. that's what it seems like. Another good little key phrase though, and this is him almost you know trying to be a good team player. Mm-hmm. He says. In the end, I saw how little time and space we had to convey a sense of Seven's history post-Voyager and the things that drive and haunt her. So he kind of, you know, said, okay. Here's why. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Here's why, you know, they were wanting that decision. Sure. And, and, you know, obviously, like, seeing that, you don't blame Seven, really, for the end result that we'll talk about, too. You know, it's it's hard to blame her (laughs) for that seeing it. To be fair, like what I said in the beginning, I feel like this was a very, I think this whole series for the most part has been very well written i don't have any really real problem with the caliber of the writing and the justification of the actions of the characters and this setup is what we needed in terms of the story the narrative whether or not we needed to see it on screen but this had to be in the narrative to explain to us why seven has become this person that she's become and it works for that works for me i don't like it but it works that works in a narrative (laughs) level yeah yeah okay so uh, I guess that's kind of all there is to say right now about Ichab. But so we move on from that. It's uh, quite a thing to move on to, but we move on to that back to present day. And of course, Seven is, as when we last left her, you know, she was in the destroyed Fenris Ranger, you know, vessel that was helping uh, kick some, you know, old Romulan bird of prey butt. And she was rescued from her ship just as it exploded. And she kind of passed out. Um so fully, you know, recovered or whatever, she comes into Picard in his new study. Um, and I liked this. This whole exchange is pretty great, mm-hmm. too, where she basically calls him out on kind of the pompousness <laughs> of the study. Totally. 
And he's like, well, it wasn't my idea. And she's like, yeah, but it, she's like, yeah, dude, but it's a holiday. It's she's a holiday. Like, you you could have made it. anything. You kept it. Right. Yeah. It's like, dude, you could have made it anything. I'm like, well, you kept it, you know? <laughs> and I thought that was pretty great. So she calls him out on that kind of thing. It was, it was good. And of course, this is not the seven we knew because what does she want for a drink? She wants scotch straight up, man. She wants it. I thought that was odd. I have to admit. But I, I guess so? it plays to the whole. I think it was. It was yeah. just to me, it was a little bit too showy of like, hey, guess what? She's a badass. So she drinks scotch <laughs> straight up. It, it, it is. It is kind of a cliche. <laughs> yeah. Um, ISIS for pussies. Straight up, man. Yeah. You know, it's like. <laughs> I, I seemed... will say. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, I appreciated that he offered her tea or wine because and I've commented <laughs> before. Like that's kind of a more of a French thing to do. Oh, yeah. And we're talking about a guy who has this like family legacy vineyard. And in the show, I think he drinks wine twice. I could be feel free to memory alpha me, friends of the out there in the shuttle podverse. I know you guys have already touched on this, but I just like have to shout out to Jerry Ryan in this whole episode. But this is like we get to see a lot of her in, in this scene in particular and like her performance, like Jared, like you said, the way that it's sort of softened and but it's still completely her. It's just like very nuanced. Yeah. Um, and Sherry Ryan's just yeah. this fantastic, beautiful she's person. She's such a great job. She's so like yeah. an she's, eloquent she's, being and she and just she's, like she's nails aged it. so well too. Oh yeah, yeah. You mean not at yeah. all? Oh yeah. My God, <laughs> she looks, I know, she looks great. She right? looks amazing. And so, yeah, and I know that she struggled. I mean, she talks about, you know, Jerry Ryan has talked about the struggle to find Seven's voice again. And I, and I totally understand that. But I'll tell you, she found it. She, she nailed it. it. I mean, I, I, I think she did a great job. Yeah. This is Seven, who's been back for 20 years, and a very different Seven, you know? And But at the same time, those kind of Seven mannerisms, like, she, she's straight up, like, you know, kind of the, I don't even know what the right word is, but the almost kind of, like, superior eyebrow cock, you know, that Seven always did, <laughs> is, still, is still there when she's, you know, questioning Picard. I mean, it's great. It's all, it, it's still there. It's just a little different, you know? So... I loved it. Had no problems with that. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. All right. So I guess they uh, finally make it to Free Cloud, right? And uh, they get some obnoxious pop-up ads, which I found to be, I don't know about that. That's kind of stupid. But whatever. It was felt a little like Star Wars or even like maybe Firefly. Yeah, yeah Firefly. Okay, well, yeah. I have that in my notes. I'm glad you said that. Star Trek is always... Um, I think kind of struggling when they try to do like a Star Wars bars type of thing. Like mm-hmm. the, uh, remember yeah. the bar in Star Trek three? Yes. Where, yes. where they, they commissioned that the was the most obvious, like, Hey, Star Wars is a big deal. Let's yeah. rip that off. Like, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I realized they didn't have a big budget and so we can forgive them for that. Um, and because they spent so much money on Chekhov's pink pilgrim uniform. <laughs> That's so yes. bad. Yes. See our Star Trek The Search for Spock episode. Um, it's worth but it's worth listening to just for a discussion of, of yeah. Chekhov looking like a pilgrim. Poor Chekhov's t- yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so so anytime they try to do it, it's it's like it's like uh trying to play basketball against Michael Jordan in his heyday. Like you're just gonna look bad, right? If you want to compete mm. against, it's hard Jordan, to do. Yeah, play darts against him. Don't play basketball against him. <laughs> play and, darts. Yeah, because yeah. then it's at least a level playing field. So I looked at that and I immediately had this like decades long sort of, even though I obviously prefer Star Trek, this decades long feeling that that you can't out Star Wars a kind of you know motley gal- galactic space bar thing, 
and then yeah, they started doing all the do. all the weird like holographic stuff. And what it reminded me of was that uh, Black Mirror episode, uh, like 15 million credits, I think it was called. Where oh, uh-huh. it's like there's the kids who are stuck inside an app, right? And so I looked at it and thought, this is maybe a little bit trying too hard to be a couple things you're not. And then then they dropped a couple like cutesy poo references where they, like we see there's a Quark's bar is there and Mr. Mott has a hair emporium. Yep. And, yep. and they're right next to each other. Yeah. And that, that that was a little bit too cutesy poo to me. So all of that all right at once, I kinda I kinda um was turned off a little bit. I agree. And like I think those references were dumb. I wasn't like, oh cool. I was like more annoyed by them. But because they were just background <laughs> and they didn't like yeah. affect the plot or they didn't slow down the storyline, I'm fine with it. I'm not gonna complain sure. about being there, it, it, it was fan service. But at least it wasn't like, you know, interrupting dialogue or the plot to show this stuff. It was just in this what would have what used to would have been a, a map painting <laughs> establishing shot. <laughs> right. It's so, true. so you know, fine, whatever. And now it's a Universal City Walk plus a bunch of CGI. That's right. Which is better than the map painting, I guess, really. I mean when you think about it. Because it was a real location, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, that they composited Enhanced. all the stuff onto. Yeah. 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 Uh oh well, you know what I should say before we get to their heisty stuff, I forgot like we had that little uh two week you know, flashback to two weeks ago basically where Bruce kind of stumbles in, you know, freaked out, asking right. basically to lay, lay low with Bejazel. Bejazel. I know. That's all I could think of, too. <laughs> um, it's like, wow, really? All right. Uh, so, or, or Jay, as uh, Alanica, since they're on a first name, nickname basis, right. calls her. Um, what, so I have, this is one of those things that's not very clear to me this goes back to you said it's pretty well it's well written i think there's a few places that it is not well written mm. this is a one of them which is why the hell is maddox trying to go to to obviously a shady person on a very shady planet agreed and that never paid and, off and then he thinks like oh i'll trust you like and of course then gee she drugs him duh and like it's like bruce you're a smart guy you should have seen this coming like i get it he was desperate but like they never explained why he went to her in particular right like why wouldn't he like go underground anywhere like else? literally anywhere else. <laughs> anywhere else no i know seriously like he i mean as we just saw like in the last episode not that vashti would be the best place there's a bunch of places like in the former neutral zone mm-hmm. that are totally a no man's land now that he could have gotten lost in you know what i mean so i don't well, know maybe why he's just he an thinks, idiot well maybe it's the whole scientist that's not very good with practical things you know yeah, well then that is real i know but that's a cliche yeah. so oh, let's hope yeah, that's true. not true yeah i i feel you though it's yeah it's like what why you just why? needed to get him yeah. there so they could get everyone else there and have all these storylines converge and that's and that's annoying because yeah. They gave him no real reason why he would be be at Jesus' place. Yeah. So yeah, poor Bruce gets himself totally screwed. <laughs> Which would kind of make sense if you're an academic who's lived a sheltered life, and then you go out into the Badlands or whatever. Like you're not ready for this, and you're going to get taken advantage of. So I thought, yeah, that, that's true. I thought that was plausible. But as you point out, he's smart enough to know that that would be. A stu- he should be smart enough to know that'd be a stupid thing to do. Stupid place yeah. to go in the first place. Yeah. 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 And I have to point out too the um the editing in this whole beginning third of the of the show. Um 
where they're flashing back and forward. And I kind of liked what I feel like they were trying to do. I think similar to the first episode, the editing was really weird to me and it wasn't quite falling into place. You know, they wanted... You're talking about the, the time the shifts time or shifts. when they do... The time shifts. Or when they do the heisty stuff. Well, both. Okay. Because when they're starting the heist, it's flipping back between the, them, them on... They're in this bar and in Picard's mm-hmm. study. It flips back and forth several times. Every time they introduce what a new right. character is going to do, they show up down on the planet and vice versa. Right. But it's 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 not quite coherent. And because they started with a flashback and then they had this, they started with Seven's flashback and then they had Maddox's flashback. And now we're having flashback and flash forward of about like, whatever, 20 minutes. There's just so yeah. many times that I found it quite disjointed. And I think that was, I think, I think that might've been the editing that was causing that. Yeah, I, I, that part didn't bother me because what they're doing, for better or for worse, is a total as another cliche, which is they're borrowing the visual medium of like a height of like heist a movie. Ocean's I was going to say Ocean's kind of yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, oh, the the whole Ocean's like franchise does this exactly, and so what they're doing is borrowing like the Ocean's, you know, eight, eleven, twelve, all those, all those, you know, the the new versions. Obviously, they're borrowing those. Yeah, uh, that visual language that they've started there, and it's like, and assuming you're, you know, you sort of know that visual language, which most people do, I yeah. guess. But uh, I just think it yeah. wasn't that well executed, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that complaint from a number of people. So I mean, it didn't bother me, but it does seem like it caught a number of people. Like you know, it didn't strike people well. I like what they tried to so. do, though. I think is a clever idea, especially because this. Well, this is another thing we should probably discuss. This sort of center, beginning center of the episode is like super mm-hmm. lighthearted. Yes. And that's weird considering all the grisly stuff we yep. just saw. At the yep. beginning. And then we'll see again. Exactly. And yeah. at the end er, is like yeah. bookending this like playful Picard is putting on this terrible French accent. Yeah. And they're oh. dressing In- like Interspersed with images of brutal torture. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. it's what is this tone we're trying trying to strike it's, here it's, it's a definite mismatch yeah it's it's weird um and the other thing that's also kind of i've seen critique and i think i agree with this critique now that i think about it i dislike that they're attempting to make mystery for mystery's sake out of who raffi is trying to find yeah yeah um, we just see her like basically cyber stalking a young dude and we're like why you know what i mean i think you could kind of put it together that she's gonna go find a kid like one her kid I kind of guess that, but at the same time, they're like trying way too hard to make it mysterious, you know? Yeah. It's like, ooh, who is this person? And then it's also clear that she's had a talk with, like when she beams herself down, you know, separate from the rest of the group, it's clear that she's already had this chat with Picard about who, who's, why she's going there, or, but we or, got it off screen. Or that he you know? knows. Yeah, he knows. Somehow. Yeah. He just knew because he intuited what she was going to do, maybe. It's pretty clear they probably had a okay. talk because it's almost like we cut back to like them finishing their conversation, like their uh-huh. goodbye conversation. Okay, it's kind of silly. It's it's like you know mystery for the sake of mystery almost. Maybe that, like, maybe okay. that was a cut scene. Maybe I would like to know. That would be good if there was if there was more to yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but that's a minor nitpick. But it's just like really, it's this whole like oh mystery. Is there a specific idiom that starts with mystery and has perhaps been overused and bastardized in pop culture? And you're not using the whole term. That is to say, mi- mi- are you going to make me say it? Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I don't. I've been trying not to say it because it is are, such a sh- like a loaded term now, right? Uh huh. The mystery box. The mystery box. 
Yes, <laughs> because everybody because it's it's like a loaded term now because everybody hates it. Right? Everybody does. Like, uh, everybody yeah. does. Yeah, yeah. So there's a little bit of that, and it's kind of annoying. But nothing. Yeah. You know, again, it's not gonna like not gonna derail me from enjoying it. I just like ah, really, you guys. All right. Um, I do like the nice conversation that Rafi and Rios have on the bridge where they're like, oh, she's in, he's in there with the ranger. And then, oh, that ranger's like former Borg. And he's and then he's just like, uh, you know, Rios is like, oh, right. And I totally forgot that Picard was once assimilated. And they have this whole kind of like, oh, geez, what did you former Borgs talk about? You know, kind of like mm-hmm. look at each other. That's kind of cool. That was a really I nice guess, way to yeah. remind the the less initiated audience of Picard's yeah. assimilation. I think they were they were playing the role of the audience there. It was, but it was thankfully not the like, uh, you know, Riker throws his leg up and goes time travel. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I like those though. or whatever. <laughs> They're stupid, but I, I like know them. those things are. I know, I know. I mean, those are fun. But... Time travel. But it was a nice way to do it without being like Basil Exposition, you know. From, <laughs> yeah. Everyone knows Bowers. that moment. Time travel. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Also, for the of you Basil Exposition fans out there, he guest stars in an episode of Babylon 5, which is terrific, where he plays like King Arthur. Oh, really? Yeah. That's, I did not Great know episode. Huh. How anyway. about that? All right. Anyway. <laughs> Michael York, right? That's the actor's name? Yes. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Uh. The other thing, of course, and this I didn't like as a cliche. It's not a problem with the writing exactly, but as a cliche is we start to figure out that Aggie, who we eventually learn is her nickname, Agnes Durati, we watch a little, you know, another way to get exposition in this, she watches a hollow vid mm-hmm. of her hanging out with Maddox when he makes his own, bakes his own chocolate chip cookies. Which is cute. And it's cute. And then they're like, make out. And it's like, oh. <laughs> it's a little creepy because they're, they yeah. look more like father and daughter but yeah so this is this is the cliche this is the cliche of the younger like younger kind of go-getter brilliant woman right. who's in love with like her mentor right you know what yeah, i mean yeah Ugh. Ugh. yeah i i just felt it was unnecessary right because it is cause, yeah yeah cause there's these two very small characters and we're seeing a flashback with them and i'm like hey maybe we could spend more time talking about john luc picard yeah <laughs> well of is course, that too so... much to ask this was 100% set up for the very, like, I think it was the very yeah, last scene. It, sure. It's the last yeah, scene. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. it would have not nearly the emotional effect if we didn't understand you know, the relationship. You know what's funny? I think it would still hold a lot of weight because she held him in high regard. She was obviously a close colleague. Like, it would still be a pretty big deal. You know, I didn't, I didn't get that, honestly, that sense. I, I, she seemed more standoffish about him before. She's just like, I don't know. He, like, you know, he just, like, went off somewhere and we haven't seen him and whatever well, that part she's mad about but like she thinks he's a genius and is kind of like gaga about his genius yeah but it's, she talks it's not i don't know I, I really don't to me i honestly don't think it would i don't i'm not saying i love it either but i think it wouldn't have had the emotional resonance i, I also Fair just enough. like that end scene yeah. for a couple of other reasons but yeah the idea <laughs> yeah. of that the idea of writing that piece into the story i think wouldn't have resonated with me as much i wouldn't have understood what a sacrifice it was for her Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I'm, yeah, I'm not sure it would work necessarily. I just had the thought, like, it might still have some weight, but I don't know. Could be right. Yeah. yeah it, it, well, we'll never know. We'll never know. it was written that way. <laughs> so they actually start to do their little... So we could let's talk about the heisty stuff, right? So they we figure out that there's a thing 
that Rios's ridiculous outfit is because he's a facer or an interfacer, right? He's an intermediary for shady deals, basically. That's kind of interesting because apparently, as a facer, you want to stand out. I like I, I don't know if this is actually like a really good like re- good real world logic, but at least they had an idea for it, which is like, oh, you're supposed to stand out so you don't seem like you're part of any one of the parties, you know, that's in this transaction. And I'm like, ah. Eh. Yeah. But if you're a guy who's setting these things up, you probably want to be lay low too. You know what I mean? Like, we want to not be easily found I guess if so. the deal goes south or whatever. But they're they're world building. I, I liked the the. I appreciated the attempt at world building. Yes, that I agree with that. I appreciate the attempt. Having said that, I would have appreciated if they'd given him some kind of cool, more futuristic looking outfit, uh, huh, rather yeah. than made him look like a 1970s pimp. Yep. Yeah, I think I when we first thought, I think I called it like a '70s pimp that's going to a '90s rave. Is based oh, on like totally. the, the combination. Mad, and why that's do you have to like. be so much cleverer <laughs> than me? Beautiful. <laughs> Sorry, I wish I'd Jared. come up with that. <laughs> no, that whole I, I, is like I, a you're 90s the better rave. man. That whole planet is like a '90s yeah. rave. <laughs> <laughs> so then, uh, then seven, yeah, should, yeah. seven shouldn't have have had Scott. She should have had Zima. Oh, oh God, yeah, right, Zima. There you go. That would really have. Hit it on the head. Yeah, seriously. Anyway. Uh, I I do like that he gets his, like, ridiculously fruity drink and asks for two umbrellas. Like, that's just kind of funny, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, lightheartedness in the middle of... In the middle of this very grim. Very grim. The most... the Can I say the most grim... Certainly the beginning was the most gruesome thing anyone's ever seen in Star Trek. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Undoubtedly. It's the most, like, realistically gruesome thing we've seen. And this might be, like... Especially because of the serialized nature of the show, because we don't have the happy ending, I would say this mm-hmm. on its own might be the most grim episode of Star Trek ever. Yeah, I think standalone, you're right. Yeah, like just taken onto itself, it it's got to be. Yeah, because in in you know um, non serialized stories, you're having to sort of bring everyone back to the light at the end, and here we didn't have mm-hmm. to do that because it's a cliffhanger. It's a right because we got five more episodes to exactly. go. Exactly. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our Rios shows up as his, as a facer and, uh, you know, kind of ballsily like says that, no, they're not there to represent the Telstar. He's got an alternate, you know, like idea for to trade for Maddox. And we get this whole uh, thing about Mr. Vup and his uh, ridiculous amount of olfactory receptor. Was it 12,050? What was it? 1,253 olfactory receptor genes. Which, like, is cool, right? Like, that's a cool thing in, like, a new alien species. Sure, why not, right? Like, so I like that, like, you know, it's that whole, you can smell what you had for dinner. And, like, I guess in most, you know, in most humanoids, you could kind of smell the physiological changes when one lies is kind of the sure. there, You know, sure, fine. Um, the, the, the only thing is I wanted this to be a member of Saru's species so that we could have yet another Saru power. <laughs> Saru ability watch. <laughs> right. Saru ability watch. Um, I will say that this guy looked really cool. I liked his yeah, like, he looked reptilian, great. badass reptilian dude. Um, and so Rafi, thankfully, has a little way around it. She had quite the cocktail. I forget what all she was listing, but quite the cocktail of chemicals to suppress you know things but i kind of wish that didn't work perfectly because basically that kicks in and vup is like yeah you smell truthful i'm like 
I don't know, man. It feels like that's a thing that like he should still be confused. He should be like, well, now I can't get a read on. Yeah, it. that would have been better. Like, it should suppress it to the point where he's not sure. But instead, he's like, no, you smell truthful. It's cool. Let's do the deal. And I feel like that's a little too convenient. I agree. I think that would have been a nicer touch. Yeah. Um, since this is sort of related, I just I'll bring it up now. Rios again, like sort of passes too easily later when I'm going to jump ahead for a second, just that, you know, he goes, he fades into the background and gets himself a drink, right? Like once he introduces mm-hmm. the two parties, um, when they're revealed to be who they are, when it's like, <laughs> yeah. um, why does no one go, Hey, that guy's probably a plant too. And instead <laughs> he gets totally left alone and can then shoot up when he's not looking. And again, that's like all too convenient for shady people who are used to like double dealing. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, somebody should have dragged his ass over to the group. Someone's getting and, like, fired for that one. Yeah, yeah. Like this is anyway. It it's just surprising that they just let let him basically. They they like believed him, I guess, because he sniffed truthfulness, right? But like, really, I would if it was like if you were a gang boss, you would go grab that guy and be like, "What the hell are you doing?" did you know he were who you were really introducing me to? You know what I mean? Like, I think you did, you know, like why didn't they drag him? Anyway. So that's another kind of like minor, like, gee, this is all working too perfectly. So coincidentally, a couple days ago, I went down this YouTube hole of this like ex mafia guy who turned state's evidence. And he did all these, Mm -hmm. did all these videos about how realistic are mobs movies. And he goes through and like, he ranks them from Goodfellas or whatever. And there's this one like, episode of The Sopranos where somebody insults Tony Soprano and he says, he stops like, okay, right here, this is unrealistic. You talk to a mob boss like that, I don't care who you are, you're getting hurt immediately, right? Well, so if, right. If, if, yeah, I believe that. If you, need, if you are involved in quasi-illegal activities, you need to establish yourself as an authority figure because by definition, you're turning away from the social contract that keeps all of us behaving so well. So it just it just reminded mm. me of that. Anyway, just my two mm. cents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure. So again, right? See, that makes no sense that they wouldn't like immediately distrust this guy. Like, you know, this other, this random guy who was their facer. Like, they should be like, no, this guy was probably in on it. Like, they should get very suspicious about all of that. Um, but anyway, so, all right, I said that. Moving well, on. <laughs> wait, wait, I'd like to just yeah. add one thing for a minute that we haven't talked about, which is Elnor throughout this thing. Oh yes, yes, good, good point. Is Bring he like yeah. mentally challenged? No, no, no. Okay, so this they they didn't really hit on it very well, but it's it's cutesy because remember Elnor was trained to never filter anything right, well, and to never lie. So I get that. So he's not a good person to bring anywhere that has to pretend. I anything. get that, but like he grew you know up on I mean? a planet with other people. Did he never ever see them or go outside? I think he did, but he was truthful with them every time. So he never had to pretend he was anybody else. And he didn't understand. He never learned that other people say things that aren't truthful. Yeah. You, you'd think he would have like, learned that lesson. I, didn't, yeah. I thought they played him way too dumb in this episode. Yeah, you're right. I didn't like his, right. I like his character a, a lot. And like, is he going to be so totally useless to us now? Because he doesn't even understand how people interact with each other on any level. He was just like, are we not, like, he's like a child. He's like, are we not pretending anymore? Like, what the heck? He's an adult. I did, I thought it was weird. I didn't like it. Yeah, that's true. I have seen people say, I've seen the critique of, like, why did you pick up this guy as this badass warrior? And then, like, go to a really sketchy situation and then, like, never use him. 
I've also seen that. Yeah. Okay. It's it's kind of like okay. I'm gonna get super super nerdy here. Uh, it's like in Dungeons and Dragons if someone plays a paladin and they decide to role play them really terribly to ruin everything for the rest of the party. <laughs> and that's huh. All that's right. kind of a deep cut there, but that's the impression I got. Is you had everybody. The rest of the party wanted to try to do this cool, like, Ocean's Eleven type of thing, like you say. And the guy playing right. the paladin is like, hey, I'm going to be obnoxious to grief my friends. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That was yeah. the whole thing I was thinking. And I just think that character looks like he doesn't belong in the series at all. He looks like uh, yeah. he's an extra from The Hobbit who got lost. From Lord of the Rings. I yeah. really hope that they kind of help that out at some point. He looks a little less hobbity. I, I think his character is pretty cool. I like the whole idea of his character. I want to learn more about him. But if all he is going to be is this like bumbling child, I don't know. I think they'll do better with him if he, I, in the future. I, yeah, I think this was like a misstep with his character, but I, I'm betting they do better with him later. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we sort of hit on it, but let's just say how utterly ridiculous it is that, again, to go back to the farcical part, that Picard thinks he can beam down there with an eye patch and like the most ridiculous French accent ever. Right, right? but it worked apparently because right. huh? until someone said his name, yeah, they didn't no know, one, which like, is oh, really weird. Picard? Because again, it, this goes back to exactly what Jared was saying about like, look, if your if your business is like covering your ass, right, and knowing, being plugged into what's going on because you're doing shady deals. I, I think a very famous cast like cast out admiral who's like on TV. Is, yeah, is gonna is gonna be on the radar. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know about that, but so they fell for it, and it's still kind of ridiculous the whole thing. Yeah, but, but I mean, okay. I can kind of forgive them for that because they, they do that in TNG sometimes too, where they'd have him undercover, and he was like already pretty famous. And you know, I'm just mm. like, I don't know. They have to if they want him to ever be able to do that. They have to kind of you have to kind of suspend that disbelief. So sure, I'll, sure. I'll kind of give him a pass th- on that one. Sure. I think I think yeah, that's true. Oh, All right, okay. well, that, I'm I'm with that. Okay, but I but, do hate the, the French accent thing. Just killed me. Though. Yes, that was like it was supposed ridiculous. to be funny, especially but, since but we again, live in a world of universal translators. Also, right. If you're if you're <laughs> a famous French guy and you go in disguise, my suggestion would be don't be French. Right, <laughs> pick something else. It's Pick like, a different accent. Yeah, it's, it's like how the. I'm sorry, I have to make another Star Wars reference, but it's like how. Um, uh, Anakin Skywalker was this famous Jedi and then he turned evil and they hid his children so he wouldn't find him and they don't mm-hmm. take the time to give Luke a different last name. They're like, he's in hiding, yeah. but he's still Skywalker. <laughs> it, it probably won't true, come back. True. It probably won't come back to true. Him. Anyway. It'll be fine. It'll yeah. be fine. He's on Tatooine. No yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and let's take him back to this guy's <laughs> home. Like a mile from where he grew up. It, it'll be fine. That's true, right? Anyway. That's true. Uh, anyway. Uh, anyway. <laughs> It, it it is kind of that level of like dope but whatever mm-hmm. so but again see like if we could ex- so we've talked we, we i think we've talked about this on our slack and stuff of like you know the previews made this look like this could be a piece of the action right oh yeah kind of cheesy Big fun time. oh no it was not <laughs> and so and so because of that like these weird parts were this like this french thing right that could be a piece of the action like that could be fun but it's not at all, and it's totally weirdly mismatched with this episode. Right? I think you hit it on the head too. That part of the misstep was advertising it in that way, because yes. we were all coming expecting yes. this like fun. Even the description that I read earlier is like, "It's like the crew means an unpredictable and lively expedition." It's like, really? Is that is that what happened? 
Just no. <laughs> it's not it, unpredictable. Yes, lively and like. I mean, yeah, chill? I guess no. it's lively, but like I would never like it. There's no mention of like. Well, I, and I guess because why would you? But like you know, it's almost like warning. Like <laughs> there's some serious shit gonna go down in this episode that's yeah. gonna make you feel bad. Yeah, it's a weird juxtaposition, and it, it must be really hard to try and juggle the because they they went to the ex, two extremes of sure. levity, yeah. extreme levity, like clownish cartoonishness, which I'm fine with. I'm not I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but they had that extreme juxtaposed with the other extreme of gruesome horror. Yeah, just <laughs> gruesome. Yeah, it's yeah, hard, hard to do that successfully. It is. It is. Can I, can I point out another thing that occurred to me? I want to see if it bugged you guys. Um, so there's a, a moment in Star Trek Beyond where they're at the Yorktown, which I thought was mm-hmm. beautiful art direction, where we see people, there's basically like foam booths that are transporter yep. booths, right? Mm-hmm, and I thought mm-hmm. that was really cool and plausible because if you have this technology where you're where you're materializing or dematerializing people's bodies and sending a packet of energons through space for them to rematerialize you would designate that with some kind of orderliness the same way we have like lights on an intersection right you can't just have people sending these beams uh no because that, then you get like the fly situation. Exactly. Right? Like- <laughs> exactly. exactly. Or or people are going to get transporter psychosis or whatever Barclay's yeah. afraid of that he read about on the, the ship medical database, right? So it seems like in any kind of environment, especially, you know, this uh, space uh, sort of uh, underworld type of thing, that you'd have specific areas where, where that were like zoned for people to beam into. It was weird sure, to yeah. me that they were like beaming into and out of this scary space bar because that, that would be a too. huge security risk, right? Well, and what's really weird is that actually goes counter to exactly what they said, which they said that they have that they're it's got transporter blockers and they have to allow a specific window in. That's right. So like they shouldn't you're right, they shouldn't be able to pop out like when shit goes down. You know how people like just start beaming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was about to say that. Where were they going? Yeah. I don't know. How the hell do they just start, like chick at the piano is just like I'm out. Yeah, a bunch of people do yeah. that. So apparently they all have like little secret transporter, you know, like emergency like a little like the like, beacons. like the bankers yeah. have the button under the table. Exactly, that's the what I thought alarm. of. Yeah, it's like that kind of thing, and they're just they're out. Yeah, they're like all right. They're like oh, she's going down. Peace. Yeah, but again, in theory, they had like remember they had to arrange for like. The smallest of transport windows, as, as you know, Frenchman Picard says, and they even need that little uh, like beacon to basically keep a tunnel. The, like open p- pattern enhancers. Yeah, the pattern yeah. enhancer. That's what it is. Thank you to keep the tunnel a tunnel for transport open because it's it's otherwise it would be closed. I miss the giant glowing rods on gigantic tripods. Yeah, I yeah. love those. Wait, right. <laughs> Let me just set up a few of these. Can you imagine being like, hey, I just, just set three of these up around us. Don't worry. It's not suspicious no, at totally all. Like, <laughs> it's totally fine. <laughs> I miss those props. Uh, those are great props, though. It's true. I mean, you knew what they did, right? You're like, obviously, these are the like, pattern answers. Yeah. You know? yeah, for pattern answers. Like, <laughs> Everyone knows that. Oh, well. Yeah, come on. Um. Yeah. So, uh, plot-wise, we sort of leave them there, BSing Bejazel, and we we if we want to, we can kind of fork off for a minute, just like the plot does, and they 
we go find what Rafi has been up to. Um, and so, no, she's not like cyber stalking a young kid for no reason. <laughs> that is as was kind of obvious, but not entirely. You know, that's her kid. That's her son. Who she's obviously very estranged from. And we find him at the Reproductive Health Services of Stardust City. Um, who, you know, he's waiting for his wife to come out of an appointment, basically. Rafi approaches him very tentatively and tries to talk to him. And, you know, she says she's clean and no more snake leaf, I guess, for her, right? She's, um, and uh, we do get some nice backstory out of this, though, right? That she got really obsessed with what went on around the Mars attack and totally just dropped all her family, like her husband and her kid, are just pushed to the wayside, right? And, of course, he, you know, gives her some shit for that and calls it a crackpot tin hat conspiracy. And she freaks out and says, oh, no, the Conclave of Eight, you know, was real. And that's the first time we've heard that term specifically. So that I have a feeling we will hear about again. I have a feeling (laughs) they are real. Yeah, it sounds very important. Especially what we learn later from dying Bruce Maddox, that he thinks so too. So yeah, there's something going on for sure. But unfortunately, it's like Raffi kind of freaks out about that and doesn't do very well with that. And basically proves why Gabe isn't talking to her. (laughs) You know, like basically sort of self-fulfilling prophecy there. Like it it proves why (laughs) why she's estranged from him. It's unfortunately... And then we meet that he's actually, uh, his wife is a Romulan, which is interesting. Kind of in a nice, uh, kind of an interesting bridge, right? Like, here's her son actually married to a Romulan, which she's all a Twitter about that, you know, and freaked out about that there are Romulan conspiracies. So how interesting, you know, just sort of probably messes with her mind that he's married a Romulan woman. Well, we don't know that it does. Um, I think he he assumes it does. I think he kind of sees that as racist. Yeah. Maybe so. There you go. Um, I don't. Yeah, I, it's hard to say. I just, of course, she just looks sad because she knows that's it. She's never gonna like be in your grandchild's life. Yeah. So that's a really touching moment. And again, I mean, Michelle Hurd is uh, such a great actress. Like, she kicks butt in that. She's scene. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and it gives us this backstory a little more about just what a toll kind of conspiracy you know rabbit hole (laughs) took on her life personal life beyond what we know that of course that we know it took a professional like toll right but now we know it took a personal toll so this is one thing i'd kind of like to touch on because it it Mm -hmm. it plugs into my whole sort of thesis about how i feel about this episode and like the universe that picard is building the, the show picard not the person um is this is one of the places where my heart breaks a little bit because we see someone and and I'm 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 okay with the um, idea that this woman is sort of ravaged by her own obsession. We see that a lot in Star Trek. That's like a theme that's carried throughout. It's like a, a, a you know a, hu- a human quality that is um, sort of something we don't necessarily want to erase. But then we also see this woman. You know, this scene has a very very strong allegory. Is obviously depicting um, an addict and her son. Yes. And what breaks my heart is that I get there's this whole argument right about how Star Trek is a is a is a mirror for the time that in which it's made and and um, 
Shabon actually talks a little bit about this as well, and I kind of agree with what he says, which I, what I think he's trying to say, which is that, um, you know, Star Trek isn't reflecting what's outside right now. The allegory is reflecting what's happening right now. But the universe isn't supposed to be in the same state that we're in today. It's supposed to be an optimistic future where we can say, you know, and I would go farther than he would go. He admits that, and I would agree with him, that some of the sort of Roddenberry TNG-esque versions of the future are a little bit too fairy ish and cartoonish. I mm-hmm. love that. Mm-hmm. I go fairy tale all the way for me. But in any event, he seems to agree that the future is supposed to be this optimistic thing where humans have progressed. It's like it's like a goalpost for humanity. And when I see, you know, I've had um, people very close to me in my family, in my life, mm-hmm. who have struggled with addiction and people who have died because of it. And to see that, that, and that, that is something that is so stigmatized today. There is no health care, um, no yeah. programs for addicts in the entire world. It's not just the United States. It's almost worse in other countries in Europe that stigmatize it worse than the U.S. does. Um, you know, this revolving door of addicts coming in and out of rehab and never getting better. And just to see that that hasn't changed breaks my heart. Hmm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's it's pessimistic rather than optimistic. It's saying we haven't gotten any better. And in fact, I I understand why her son reacted that way. Being a family member to, to, to addicts, I understand that it's a huge burden to put on yourself. And at some point, you have to look out for yourself, and, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he dismissed her as being someone who just didn't care about him and his and his father was like, to me, like, haven't we progressed as a society to the point where he would realize that she's a sick that addiction is yeah. an illness, that it's yeah. it's a fatal illness. Yeah, uh, you're right. We actually, we should be at that point long before, I mean, long, long ago at this I point. I would have hoped. The, and so, the, yeah, yeah, that was really sad to me. Yeah. See, the, the other problem, though, is you can't just say addiction is something that we can um, fix immediately with the uh, uh, wave of a tricorder. Because then right. that kind of trivializes it contemporarily. Sure, sure, sure. Sense? But I think the attitude towards it hasn't, it appears right. it hasn't changed. Because he's just pissed off at her for, she's like, I'm not, you know, smoking weed anymore or whatever. And he's just like, yeah, right, yeah. mom. And like, instead of being like, mom, you're sick, I understand that, you know, you can't help these things. You can't help being an addict. There was nothing like that. It was very, very modern to me. It was very, you know, like, you know this attitude of no understanding or empathy for what the for the the fact that it's not that person's fault that they're an addict. That's what breaks my heart. Yeah, yeah, that that is actually a very good point. Yeah, um, I know that Shivana sort of talked this in indirectly that Rafi's one of those people who's basically like put herself in this position, not the addict part, but it has put herself in a position to like fall through the cracks and like doesn't want help, so she's not getting it. You know what I mean? So I know that he's kind of talked about that as far as like Rafi's one of those people that have like fallen through the cracks, uh, you know, on, on the edges of, you know, the Federation, kind of the civilized Federation, you know. And so she's sort of choosing not to get help. Sure. Not that that, not that, that changes his reaction because his reaction is still shitty. But just, you know, you're talking about her getting help. Mm-hmm. Like she seems to sort of, you know, it's like her it's like her living in the desert. She's kind of rejecting the offer of help. I guess so. Yeah. As far as that goes, but that doesn't excuse his behavior. I, I see, which of course your point, like, and that doesn't really excuse his like not understanding of it at all. 
certainly like you know he's been burned by her he should of course be guarded because of course, that's a yeah. natural reaction yeah. to that you know but yeah you're right to be just to be completely like shitty about it is surprisingly like you said very surprisingly like 20th 20 early 21st century yeah. kind of cra- crappy behavior you know like it shouldn't be and, and i think you know that wouldn't i have to say i agree with you there i don't think that would be the case if this was portrayed in tng when we have seen a little bit of like addiction to things in tng like uh barclay and the hall addiction is the one I right and, and it's usually not mistreated in that way it's usually like you said like a thing that people need to work on and it's understood you know it's not you know rejected or sort of damned you know it's just like okay well yeah we've got some issues to work through and that's what we're here for like that's why we have counselors on board or whatever in that case. and i appreciate your, what so, you're saying about how and i guess i that didn't come through as much for me but how um shabon was saying that um she fell through the cracks and so she she rejected the help but i, yeah. I guess i didn't maybe i missed it but i feel like i didn't see that on screen it would have been nicer to it's, have that it's there. not on screen yeah i think this is reading between the lines okay so, so that's fair and that's fair and again you know that's not a bad writing you know that's not the, the writing in itself isn't bad it's completely you know adept it's just that i don't like those choices that were made because i don't think it's portraying a universe that i was hoping to see <laughs> sure yeah no that's yeah that's valid there's a lot of this I don't think we'd like to see. <laughs> a lot of this, you know, point in time does not seem very nice, I have to say. Exactly, There's... exactly. And that choice to make this a not no- nice point in time is where I take issue. Hmm. Uh, are we, can, can, can I point out one thing, and this will go back to what I was talking about with um, the, the hidden figures technique at the beginning, is, the and I, and I think I mentioned this in my general reaction, I just feel overwhelmed by these episodes because there's so many characters and there's so many things and I can't care about all of them. And mm-hmm. so I really yeah. think they needed to have just three or four characters, and all of whom had some kind of significance, and just focus on them. Because it's difficult for me to... I mean, of course, you know, there'll be like people who Picard met between the last time we saw him and now, and those would be like his previous crew. And so I like that for like the plausibility of it. But it's it's just difficult for me to, to feel invested when I'm supposed to feel uh, 10 different emotions about 12 different characters and, and instead of just a couple. So I really wish that they'd narrowed it down and focused on a few rather than going overboard. Which I feel like that's uh, hmm. going to be difficult for me to get over. I would argue that Discovery is doing that kind of worse than this. I, would agree I agree that, completely, yeah. completely. And, and, and that's the, the main thing. And why I pointed it out a year ago is Discovery is just all over the place. Well, yeah, and they, you yeah. know, and here in Picard, at least we're having like the episodes are, are in a way nicely packaged. And so there's there's less to digest in terms of plot lines and actual events happening. So even there are a lot of characters, I agree. And like there's a few there's others like the Agnes and Maddox and then there's Picard and there's seven and then there's the board cube, which thankfully we didn't see in this episode. So there's a lot to keep track of, but at least there's not, I feel less overwhelmed in terms of the story yeah, than I did too. in Discovery. So I, I really appreciate that, that, that slowing down of the pace. I think the pacing is, is pretty good. Yeah, yeah it's about right. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, Maddox is, is alive, but of course uh, not doing well. And uh, let's see. 
uh, we figure out, of course, Seven is basically has a double deal. Like she wants to get to Bejazel for a totally different mm-hmm. reason than the other people. <laughs> and Bejazel, of course, addresses her by her like human name, Annika. So boy, they certainly have a past. Yeah, clearly. Um, They're not pretending anymore. And, yeah, exactly. Gee, are we pretending anymore? Like, no. <laughs> No, we're. I think if Picard gets annoyed, he's like, "No, no, we're not." Like, get, all, get out of here, um, Elrond. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, that's a whole standoff. You know, Seven gets to like choke a bitch, basically, <laughs> to use pimp, more pimp language. You know, um, no, but uh, and you know, it's a whole standoff and yada yada. And of course, then we get this sort of nice thing where Picard and, and Picard tries to sort of lecture, which she's not putting up with. But it's actually nice that see again, like Rios wanders back in, which again, no one's covering Rios, <laughs> but whatever. Um, but actually, he gets to kind of make, you know, like the kind of. Uh, it's actually it reminded me very much of something like Quark would say. It's a very Ferengi kind of thing of like think about the the you know the numbers like the money of this. Think about you know the opportunities here. Like you're gonna get a, you know, does this make sense to do right now? No, you're gonna get a bounty put on everyone's head. It's gonna like be costly you know why would you do this and that she listens to at least for the moment i think she listens to the you're going to put your friends in danger by doing this i think that's what she yeah i think that's what really sways her i agree um and so you know she for the moment lets her go and they get away and i don't think anyone is surprised that seven won't stop there of course um and returns but so we get Maddox back on a bio bed. Um, Seven and, and Picard have a really great parting moment, right? I, I love that scene where they're talking about, well, did you ever, you know, did you ever really feel recovered, you know, fully recovered? And Picard, of course, kind of instantly says yes, but then he rethinks about it and he's like, no, like, I'm still working on it. Like, we're, we're both still, what is it? We're both still working on it, right? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, we're still it's working so good, on it. And now I'm yeah. not. And now I'm not quoting it right, but it's such a good little, you know, exchange there. And then, of course, Seven just goes, yep, every damn day. <laughs> Picks up every some phaser rifles and, and, goes in his beat and goes and is quite human and quite imperfect, <laughs> I would say, right then. And um, does her deed of blasting Bejazel into nothing, <laughs> disintegrating her. Um and I, you know, so I guess before we go back to Max, let's just say how we feel about that. I personally don't have a huge issue with her doing this kind of revenge thing. I know revenge is not ideal, of course, right? But I think this borders on the it's more just to do that than to let Bejazel get away with it um, kind of thing. A little along the lines of and the, the, date- the most toys. Exactly. Data is actually, you know, decided that ethically he can't allow this to continue. So he's going to pull the trigger. Yeah. Which, you know, I think we're, I think that I feel that it's along those lines. We know Bejazel is a scam artist and a shady person and has committed multiple atrocities and har- live body, like harvesting of Borg parts. And of course, then it, it's really personal for Seven because, of course, of Ichab and just the general fact that she's, a, you know, Jason's a crappy person, right? Like, <laughs> so uh, I know this got a lot of people concerned. Again, we're in that sort of, this is a dark time. She's behaving very darkly. 
Um, but I think in this case, it was motivated. I don't know about you. I'd like to push back on that a little bit. Um, I know a lot of people are using the, um, the comparison to the most toys um, where Data goes to pull the triggers as I cannot allow this to continue, I believe is the line. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, gets stopped from firing him and because he gets beamed up just then. I, I honestly think that's not equivalent. I think that um, it's very clearly motivated as revenge in this case, and that Seven is, says so. So there's so in the scene where she she beams down, she lies to Picard that she's not going to do this, and he's basically like, "I'm glad you made this choice." You know, she's like, "Yeah, cool, whatever." Can I take these phasers? And then also, by the way, arms the phaser just before she beams out. So I don't know what <laughs> yeah, Picard. that's a little Picard obvious. Probably yeah. should have noticed that, but anyway, mm-hmm. putting that aside, she says to Bejazel. Picard still thinks there's a place in the galaxy for mercy. I didn't want to disillusion him. Somebody out here ought to have a little hope. She says, Bejazel says back, like you used to have before I took it away from you. Seven replies, something like that. You're stalling, blah, blah, blah. Your security wave will be here in less than five seconds. He was a son to me, Jay. This is for him. And then she shoots her. Oh, I'm not saying it wasn't revenge-based, but I'm saying is like, maybe this is for the better that she I think you're you know I, mean? I think everyone who's saying that honestly I think y'all are reading into that where it's not there I think you're putting your own meaning behind it because I didn't see that on the screen hmm. I didn't see that motivation at all all I saw was seven literally saying this is for you killing my son and then shooting her sure well fair enough like you're right like I think I think you're right as far as it's not on the screen. Like, I think maybe we're all reading into and it. And maybe you know? I'm being unfair, but that's what I saw. And and I have to admit, my vision is very colored during this scene. Because if I may go on my sort of mini, I don't want to call it a rant here, but my little like speech, um, get mm-hmm. like on my soapbox for a minute. This is like the <laughs> defining thing. For this scene is the defining scene for me as to why I was really disturbed and heartbroken by this episode. Mm-hmm. Because along, mm-hmm. along the same lines as to why I was heartbroken by the idea that we have an advance to the point where we can accept um, that addiction is a disease in the future and treat it as such. I was heartbroken to see that this is the universe we live in because the writing in terms of putting seven into the situation, I have no problem with. So a lot of people, I think a lot of the fans are that are arguing back and forth about this, this part of this episode are sort of missing the point. They're saying, oh, I hated it. It was bad writing. And I didn't think so. I think it was good writing, and that's part of what I don't like about it is because these were specific narrative choices. So ah, mm-hmm. so I think the writing was good. I think Seven's actions were completely warranted given what we know that she's been through in the past, whatever it's been, 20 years. Um, she's been through hell, this whole thing with the Borgs being vivisected, as you said, perfectly, um, you know, and, and having to mercy kill her son and all the being, being um, double-crossed by this woman who she feels partly... Yeah, responsible for leading her son into this it all leads up to who she has become this like badass bitch out outside the federation kind of again falling through the cracks slightly bit of an outcast out there trying to make a name for herself or trying to make the world a better place is what she says although that doesn't seem to be her real motivation trying to just desperately to do something it makes sense sure. that she's there. What I hate and what breaks my heart is the fact that she's gotten there, is the fact that Star Trek now exists in a dystopic universe where after the destruction of Romulus, the Federation lived in their chateaus in France and everyone else, I'm going to use it one more time, got fucked. 
Vashti, everyone <laughs> yeah. on Vashti got screwed over. That place is a yeah, mess. Yeah. Everyone on Free Cloud is like that. That place is a mess. Uh, Seven is a complete mess. Her life has been ruined. You know, Rafi is out living in Vasquez Rocks. She's a complete mess. She's not getting any kind of mental mental health help. Um, mm -hmm. The world, the universe has become a terrible place, and they've written it well enough to justify it, and that breaks my heart. Because I don't, if I want to see that, if, if this, if Picard is supposed to be a mirror for what we are today, I can just turn on the news and see sure. what's happening yeah. in our, you know, in the United States, overseas, wherever. The world's going through some shit right now. I can just walk out my door and see that. And I've always come to Star Trek because it shows me, hey, life's hard right now. And some things are crappy, but like, we're going to get past all that. We're going to get to the point where... We can be learning these lessons in this box where, in you know, this sandbox where everything is okay and humans have the capacity to overcome all these problems, blah, blah, blah. And that's not the universe I'm seeing. They have created yeah. a dystopic future yeah. and I've never been a fan of dystopic future sci-fis. I hate it when they made me read Brave New World in high school. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I love Star Trek and that's why my yeah. heart is broken and that's why... Um, I did not like this episode. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. And I think a lot of people felt the same way. This is also coming after Discovery, where it felt like they were trying to make us feel awful, too. Yeah. yeah. I felt like mm -hmm. crap after this episode. I felt hor. I still kind of feel horrible. I haven't like, gotten over watching yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I think, I mean, the only thing I can think of is that we are literally like at the midpoint of the season. So if you kind of go with like typical story plotting, this is supposed to be a really low point and we're supposed to climb sure. out our way out of it. So that I can only hope that that's what really happens. I can too. You know? My fingers are super crossed and I'm going to, you know, obviously yeah. see this thing through the end because I want to, I, I like this show and I want to know what happens, but I'm also mm -hmm. sort of yeah. sick of this like, um, so Kurtzman is gone. So like, oh yeah, they're, they're out there having to like clean up the mess um and like put the pieces back together and i'm like what mess why is there a mess so i'm just like right why i'm sick of the excuse yeah. for being in a dystopic universe of the, i'm sick of the excuse that oh well we have to like we're getting everyone together so that they can like then become better by the end of the, the, the of the season and i'm like but star trek started off good we didn't have to climb out mm -hmm. of a hole right i don't want to climb out of a hole yeah i mean like in theory we climbed out of that hole at some point Post World War Three and post First Contact, exactly. way way longer. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Some sometime between between Zephram Cochran and when there was the midget with the cowbell at the at the Q weird. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere yeah, that's between right, yeah. those two, some great things happened. And and I'll also just point out that like Deep Space Nine was sort of the most morally conflicted show, but I think that the reason that it worked so well is because it had these moral conflicts in a universe that was this optimistic future, and so it oh, had I to agree. play in that world, and it it did it hit us over the head with these like really hard to so swallow well. morals, but yeah. it worked so well because the universe was this. Yeah amazing place and the shell was cracking a little bit right but here it's just like yep. this place is is a friggin' wreck like everything sucks <laughs> that's what it seems everything like. sucks yeah, I agree. it looks like it yeah um okay, the the other thing that bugs me is is if they think this is a reflection of what the world is right now then they need to get off of twitter because the world is actually pretty amazing 
right? So Good many point. advancements have happened in the last 20 years that it's staggering. Like the data point I share with people is, I read this article that said like 270 million people in India in the last 10 years have come out of poverty. And in India, poverty means poverty, right? Yes. Here yeah, in the United yeah, States, yeah. poverty means you have one cell phone instead of two. But in like rural India, holy crap. And that's just one data point. Um, so if, if if we think, the and, and what's his name? Patrick Stewart said, we're living in a dystopia right now. When that, uh, it was a Variety article interview he did right before. Or maybe yeah. Vanity Fair, I can't mm-hmm. remember which. Um, and I looked at that and said, does he genuinely think this, right? I mean, in terms of like people dying from war, fewer people are dying from war nowadays than at any point in human history, right? No, you're, you're, like you in, have a very good in point. In so many ways, the world is better now than it even was during the 90s when when the, the height of the Bourbon era. So sure. if if the, the, the biggest problem right now, I think, is we have access to so much information, right? It's true. So very true. we get overloaded with stuff that it warps our brain, right? Because there's always been terrible things happening. And nowadays, even though there's probably less of it, uh, given that there's there's so many more people on the world and so, in, in the world than there were 100 years ago in so many points of conflict, there's actually less conflict of it. But those that crop up, we hear about, right? I mean, this coronavirus could be terrible. Hey, let me tell you about a little something called the Black Plague, which killed <laughs> three quarters of Europe, right? And that was just one plague that the planet had before we developed penicillin and everything. You're, you're, you're so right. Cause I get asked all the time when I tell people I'm a volcanologist, they say, Oh, well, why are there so many more volcanoes erupting now and earthquakes? And the truth is there's is, not, are no, there? there are not. There's not. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think there it. are. It's yeah. Because you hear about it more. You never would have heard about, you know, an eruption near Manila. Because most people right. would have been like, what's Manila? Except for, exactly. you know, a couple months ago, that was all over <laughs> right. the news. So you're totally sure. right. So why so why can't we have, you know, in a in a time where where people are are being are on Twitter and they're hearing the world is a dystopic place right now, people are if people are feeling that way and so much of our television reflects that, why can't we sure. have a television show that says, "Hey, wait a minute. It's like what Jared just said. Why can't that show that you just described exist? Be like, "Hey, wait a minute. We have all these good things. Here's all the good things yeah. that happen." Because Yeah, why can't why can't that be the social commentary? Yeah, because part because part of this too is like a self fulfilling prophecy in a way. Like if sure, if sure. this is what we think the future is going to be because it's inevitable, then we're going to start to lose faith in like humanity. And sure. and the yep. only reason that I'm such a you know optimistic person in general and trying to always see the best in people and you know me I'm always like the like forgiving everything whenever like especially like during discovery I became like the apologist who like tried to love everything for a while um mm-hmm. yeah. and I credit that a lot of that to star trek because it ingrained in my in my head that humans were good in the end right yeah and there has got to be a way to reflect both things because there is there there is at least for now there is a shift towards you know concerning things right that are sort of going the wrong way it seems like but like we said like you were saying but not everything is like that right like that's not the entirety of like what's going on in the world you would think that there has got to be a way to tell this kind of story and in fact honestly there there is told this kind of story Mm -hmm. yeah they've told these kinds of stories um and you know so i don't yeah it's true like wh- wh- why is there why why do they seem to be um mutually exclusive when they're not maybe we have these writers who 
who feel like the sense of superiority by saying, oh, we are in a dystopia and we're going to call it out. It's like, well, wait, maybe you could say that things can be uh, happy and fun, right? Is it too much to ask that I want a fun space adventure? Is that too much to ask? Right? We have all the other bases covered. <laughs> we have all the other dystopic stuff. It, if it's out there, if we want it, it's out there. Sure. <laughs> give yeah, give if, me the if I want to watch, thing. If I want to watch Breaking Bad, I can watch Breaking exactly. Bad. Exactly. I don't need to see Breaking Bad in space. In space. Well, and like they, honestly, they have that. That's Discovery. You know what I mean? Like, which yeah, is fine. Yeah, like yeah. Discovery. Here, like, yeah. Like, sorry, go on. Like season three is them mm-hmm, mm-hmm, trying mm-hmm. to rebuild, you know, and get somewhere sort of back to the glory days of like the Federation, I guess, is kind of what, what we're sort of being pitched yeah. right for, for season three. It's the same story. So that's them. Right. So then why do we need that twice? You it's know the what same I mean? story. Like, it's they, they find it, themselves in this there's room for, dystopic place yeah. and they have to pick up the pieces and try to rebuild. Yeah. So there's so there's room for I like the like, you're right, because like they say, like there's room for all kinds of sort of playing around with different genres in these CBS track things. Like they even talk about that, right? That they want to try different things. And it's like, OK, so why did this need to be so damn dark? And it's not just being dark and gritty. Like, I feel like you can be dark. You can show dark and gritty and still be hopeful and still put, again, put sure. yourself in this sandbox yeah. There's a way of to this do utopic yeah. universe. So I've just. I think it's harder to do, but there's a way to do it for sure. I'm heartbroken. Oh, I, I still think that's actually a really good keyword. That's heartbroken. I think a lot of people feel that yeah. way. I think you've hit. I think you've hit on it. I, I also think underscoring that heartbreak is a lot of people feel like this the Picard series is make or break for the franchise in general. Oh, yeah. It's it's very important for the franchise, for sure. Right. And so if they're not sticking the landings on this, then that it's more than just bad for this. That's true. That's a good mm-hmm. point. True. True. Speaking of heartbreaking, if we go back to the one last scene, which is a really kind of Kind of weird and kind of a big deal. Oh, uh, yeah, we haven't even hit that yet. <laughs> no, we have to get back to that. Uh, is Mannix is rescued, you know, after all the ridiculousness that goes on. Um, and he's in a bad way, right? Like, he is a mess and dying, basically, for all intents and purposes. Um, so, of course, he tells Picard, okay, well, there's another one, yes. Like, confirms that, yes, there's another one named Soji. And, like, he, uh, you know, he had her go to the artifact for whatever reason, um, that he strongly suspects that it wasn't just like the Tal Shiar, you know, that nuked his lab, that he th- he's pretty sure that there was also Federation, you know, involvement, which of course basically confirms R- Ravi's like deepest, you know, darkest paranoid fantasies. But she's not there to know that yet, but it does. Um, and then of course we see Gerardi is just lurking in the background, but like the way they film this, it's 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 obvious. So obvious. She's gonna turn right. She's gonna go she's crazy. Like, oh. So she's lurking in the background, just like picking her moment to turn off his life support. So in theory, this is her lover, but whatever was shown that we cut away from with you know uh, Commodore O right the chief of starfleet security that we know that she was you know cut away from um that we didn't see apparently convinces her that you know and, and again she does this whole like oh i wish i hadn't i hadn't seen it i wish they hadn't shown me i'm sorry and then you know pulls the plug on him and so what possibly could she believe about this stuff also it's probably a lie 
Right. Like, why do you believe that? And why does someone who's in theory, a well-trained scientist believe, you know, basically uh, that they bring about the doomsday, right? It kind of seems like they introduce something that kind of goes with the Romulans ideas of the doom bringer, you know? And I'm like, you would not think that as a person of science, right? Like you would tend to not believe that, especially because she was highly involved in bringing, working on robotics and bringing, as it turns out, bringing them about. We didn't know that part until he says that her, her, you know, her whatever was essential to the project. And so she apparently now feels even weirder about this and more guilty about it or whatever. It's weird. Yeah. Well, obviously mystery. Yeah, I know. Oh, mystery. I'm sure we will find out why by the end of the season. Yeah, so then she she basically tells the EMH to bugger off twice. And I have a problem with this, which is, why would the EMH put up with that? I mean, yes, you can deactivate him, but like beforehand, why is he He doesn't even seem to notice that his patient is dying? No, he doesn't. Until eventually he's like, oh, I guess there's some sort of emergency. Like he shows up because her heart beat is elevated or something meanwhile someone's literally dying yeah right and then he goes over to the bio bed and is like oh you've stopped the treatment why and she's like yeah go away now and it's like really i would think he would activate immediately yeah yeah totally i did not like that either um there's another piece of this which i find annoying because it's not on screen so therefore it's (laughs) non-canonical but um why the hell is gerardi overseeing him and why not the emh she's not a medical doctor as far as we know she's a she's like a phd in like robotics is she supposed to be overseeing as far as we know yes they leave her alone with her and she's the one with like a hypo in her hand maybe she's like treating point i guess i was gonna say maybe it was like some routine just like oh give him some hypos and like oh i'll do it so it turns out that in the book that just came out and our review is about to go up in the morning as we record this uh she's apparently started out as a medical doctor and then like changed her interest her like field of interest like into the sort of cybernetics line of dialogue i know so we have right so we have no idea of her background like so i I kept thinking like why are they letting gerardi like alone with him why isn't the emh activated the entire time like well that's another cliche though too in like tv where there is one like quote-unquote smart person and whenever there's a medical thing like that person does everything yeah and they do everything yeah yeah like no they're not a doctor yeah that's not your field of expertise yeah they're not a doctor so anyway so canonically on screen we've never heard that she used to be an md so sorry i don't understand that it's annoying maybe they'll mention it at some point in the future that would be nice so the other question is hello he set off alarms you know like the whole cold blue thing right? happens when you flatline a patient in a hospital and you could hear those alarms go off nobody knows the emh knows so what the hell you know what i mean like how, what's gonna happen here it kind of looks like you know looking at the little preview for next week kind of looks like aggie got away with it and I'm nobody sure. knows do we know exactly what she did to kill him she just killed his life support so he stopped getting treated. But like he was his like veins anyway. went black and stuff or whatever. Did, like, yeah, did I don't understand him? what that is. I think. No, I think that's just somebody getting overzealous with like a visual effect huh. to show you that he's. Dead. I was confused what was happening. His um, he. I mean, he had like massive like 
spleen and liver damage. So I think it's like, you know, to show you bad stuff is going through his veins. His bo- his body hmm. isn't working correctly anymore or whatever. All right. Because they never said she did anything. She just like terminated his like. Yeah, I didn't his, see her doing treatment. anything. That's why I was like, did she poison him or? Maybe she did, but they didn't. It didn't yeah. look. I mean, it wasn't clear. Yeah. So I mean, in theory, and again, this would be nice to have as hopefully maybe the next episode shows it is like okay, so if she is this expert, she hacked the EMH and deleted. The, the fact that he observed that you know what i mean like hopefully she's like deleted the logs well certainly the they're gonna show a scene of them being like hey emh what happened you'd hope so my gosh because the image that's is the first thing you would do him. is activate so him and like, say what, really? what went wrong that's that's exactly right i don't know so that better happen in the next episode so there's another uh kind of almost another kind of grisly death happens right this one was yeah, kind of oh, grisly yeah. too because, you know, it's like pulling the plug on someone. Watching his veins go black for some reason. Elma, and then, of course, as as we knew, Raffi couldn't really leave the crew. So she's in her bedroom like a like a teenager. She's like, don't talk to me. Yeah. And it looks like she stays there for a little bit. People are going to have to come yeah. coax her out. So we'll see. I'm glad that she's back. I'm glad she's back. And, of course, she couldn't really be gone. We know she sticks around like. So, of course, her stuff with her son had to go badly, but it's a huge bummer. That's like, that's a great, we could just end the podcast right there. It's a bummer. I know. It's a bummer. I know. That's, that's probably this, that's the, like the TLDR (laughs) of the whole episode, right? It's a bummer. Each a bye, it's a bummer. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Each a bye, like, it's a bummer. Oh, it's a, it's a well-written bummer, but is it a bummer, huh? Um, well, we were the, to try and not leave it on such a bad note. We talked about some of the fun little fan servicey thing. A couple of other things, uh, we found out that um, from you know executive producer Akiva Goldsman being on the official podcast that goes with this. But don't listen to that. Listen to ours. Ours is more cool. Amen. It's Amen. better. That they were thinking about having Bajazel actually be a Cation. So that would have been, been kind of cool. cool. But they just. They didn't have the budget to really do it. That that's the right that's the right choice. If you can't do it well, don't do it. Yeah, yeah. Don't do it. Right. Exactly. So they I like that, that they thought um, of that. But I thought that was a cool Yeah, it's a cool idea. Um and they basically went on to say that they think anything from TAS is fair Good. game Sweet. to be used. So I think that's cool. Canonize too. it. Uh, Hashtag canonize it. Yeah. And then the other thing that we there's a little like Easter egg of sorts is an auditory one. Where um, they worked in a little bit of a Voyager theme yep. cue as Seven leaves Picard, you know, beams away, which it's very subtle, by the way. I had to like listen. Oh, to really? I I was like, stood out so I, much to me. I completely missed it. I so I need to go rewatch that scene. I, I heard it right away, and I was like, "You're gonna play that theme right now." All right. Yeah, and that's and that's why I think that's a good point, which is that's actually not a great point in time to use it given what exactly i was right. really like... disturbed that they put it there if i'm being honest because yeah. it's like void it's like voyager hope and light yeah and then, <laughs> and then like and just then like... like dual wielding phaser rifle revenge yeah. killing cool so yeah those two things go together yeah kind of kind of weird i think it was supposed to be a cue because the scene between Seven and Picard is lovely. 
it is and that's when the, it should have been like lit, it should have been literally the second of like every damn day of and then like a, yeah like a beat right on then. her face and right or something then. you know and right. then they do the something like that but not while well, she's getting on the transporter and literally turning on her phaser rifle <laughs> yeah it has a very different meaning yeah it does it's there yeah yikes yeah. yikes mm-hmm. Uh, the other place it would have been acceptable, I think, is when she first comes back in, you know, because she like she passes out right at the end of the last episode. It would have been nice to sort of work that in as like her intro music when she comes into Picard's um, study. Right? Sure. That's a little, that's a little, a little cheesy, yeah, maybe, but like that's cheesy. another place. That's another place that would have been mm-hmm. acceptable. But yeah, it, it seems like it doesn't really belong much of anywhere else in this episode. And in the interest <laughs> of Jared's very excellent uh, New Year's resolution, I do want to make sure to point out that, that that scene between Seven and Picard, I thought was like awesome. I loved it. Um, and it's what we've been waiting for the whole time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. That's and it's exactly such a wonderful I mean. use of what I'm saying that I missed, that I'm missing from the rest of this, which is showing this despair and hardship in the in the in the wrapped you know inside of this optimistic universe so picard's so she's saying like dude like how are you i'm not doing well and he said that he's basically like it's okay because we're trying and we're always going to keep getting better and everything's going to be okay and she's like yeah i'm trying yep like that's wonderful and that's a way to show this horrible thing where they feel like they've never gotten all of their humanity back that's like terrifying and very bleak but it's wrapped in a you know that's the allegory for whatever horrible things happening to you and there's picard and seven saying it's going to be okay yeah absolutely even if we're changed forever it's still going to be okay more of that please like i said it needs to go uphill you know it needs to go towards the light from here yeah, they've like torn us. They've torn us down, and now they have to build us back yeah. up slowly in their own image. That's right. They better. <laughs> I hate though that with the serialized storytelling, it's like you pointed out. Well, we're at the midway point. It's like I wish, almost just wish, you would go back to non-serialized, episodic stories because I hate having to wait weeks, being in the dumps, feeling like sure. crap to until they decide to bring us back out of it again. Just like no. <laughs> to wait so long until i feel happy again it's hard but i'm a i'm a product of the 90s so i I hope that you find you find this experience being able to talk with us cathartic oh totally yeah and shabon actually even when in one of the things that we quote even actually hits on that whole you know it's it's highly serialized is that he said, you know, there's precedent for this kind of story, like his kind of, the stories that they're telling now. But the fact that our story only resolves over 10 episodes, not one, two, or four out of a season of 23, mm-hmm. might make it feel sometimes like there is more darkness and more trauma in our characters' lives. More struggle. This show unquestionably has darker tonalities than some others. It lives more in the shadows where the Federation's light can't always reach. That isn't to condemn, criticize, undo, break, or God knows, betray the Federation or Gene Roddenberry's vision. Shadow defines light. Okay, I love that sentiment, but at the same time, it, it, if you're yeah, know, you're gonna still, only show us the yeah. shadow, you can't just you can't just say, Oh, but there's light somewhere else. Okay, but it's not on the screen. They're they're, they're cheating. Well, as long as we actually start to see the light, then they're not. But yes, you're right. But I guess the main point was like, you know, he was trying to say, like, okay, I know this is like a long form serialized thing hang in there 
basically. And I, I just I wish I, I wish they wouldn't have to make excuses like that or please to have us hang in there. I don't want to hang in there. I want to watch the show and enjoy it. You, Every episode. I want to have a fun space adventure and then when it's done say, "Ah, this feels like when I was a kid watching TNG." Sure. I'm, well, you know. But, you know, I would for, I, yeah, please don't don't I, I hope no one's holding this against me as thinking, oh, she just wants to rewatch TNG for the first time. Because I know that's not going to happen. And that's not necessarily what I'm saying has yeah. to happen. But I want them to play in the same kind of universe because Star Trek's the only show that's ever given me that. Sure, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And, and, agree with that. and and my, my issue with this is if you're doing something that banks so heavily on nostalgia, right, to the point that you need to put that Quark and Mott have businesses right next yeah. to each other, then the core part of that nostalgia that you want people to feel is the emotion, right? And you're kind of poisoning that emotion. Agreed. Does that make sense? Could be, yeah. They have to be careful, yeah. Yeah. And that's a very, it's a very fine line there, yeah. They have to be careful, very careful with that. Um, I think um, on, on the episodic thing, this is a little bit aside, but just made me think, like, one of the next shows that that's going to come up in 2020 or we're not sure which one comes first discovery season three or lower decks, but lower decks is also supposed to be ready soon for people. I'm so, so excited. I think that, yeah, I think that's where we're as much as it sucks to say that we have to sort of seek refuge in one of these. If, if that's the kind of thing that we want. And I think a lot of us, and I mean, let's be real. We all enjoy that more episodic and hopefully more like, lighthearted and like hopeful thing i think that's where lower decks is gonna fill it's gonna fill that niche a little more for us but we'll see that's that's yeah. my guess all right so yeah i think we've we've hit on everything right guys we, there was a, lot, a lot to discuss to in this about. episode yeah so next week the impossible box back to the back to the board queue <laughs> <laughs> appropriately named i guess the impossible box mm-hmm. yeah. that's a it's cool name i like it yeah yeah all right friends well thanks for hanging in there with us and uh we'll be back next week and free to tell us in the comments why we are wrong i mean and i mean i mean that i, I mean that wholeheartedly <laughs> yeah no um everybody's got different you know ideas. nitpicking and disagreeing about star trek and what star trek is is what makes us trekkies right sure. so um i would love to yep. hear you all cheer me up and tell me that i'm totally wrong and and that that you know this is going to be all all light and fluffy soon <laughs> well, in the interim, we're recording this on February 24th, 2020. So that means this Saturday is Leap Day. So li- remember the old saying, oh, that's right. oh. live every day like it was Leap Day and live every Leap Day like it was your last. That's, that's, <laughs> that's right. 30 rocks. Well, thank- okay. That's from 30. I was yeah, going to exactly. say, I think yeah. that's 30 exactly. rocks, right? Yep. We, we, we are in the Whitley family. We're having a fun Leap Day party planned this Saturday. So I hope all of you take advantage awesome. of it as well. All right, well, happy All leap right. day, everybody. Thank you, Kayla. All right. <laughs> Take care. All right, bye, bye guys. everyone.